I have the dis distinct pleasure of introducing Sean Conley. Sean is the Chief Learning Officer at Baker Hughes. Sean, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much. And I love being part of like what is called the fun episode, right? Because I think we need more fun. We need more fun episodes. It sounds like this is the after party episode. <laughs> So, Sean, let me just jump right into it. I had the opportunity of looking at your background, which is, you know, very rich and comprehensive. You've been at a number of world-class organizations and brands, NBC, GE, Disney, now at Baker Hughes. I, I guess my first question is, um, how did you decide to become a learning and development uh, professional and and a well sought after one at that. Spencer, first of all, I love that question because I don't know that I ever decided. I think it was decided for me. And it truly starts way back. I, I was a product of the restaurant industry. Uh, my folks used to own and operate and then I thought to myself, I'm going to do everything I can do to not be in this business all my life and spent, you know, 18 years um, in food service. But really how I fell into it was I was opening restaurants for an organization called Marie Calendars back in the day. They're primarily on the West Coast, opened about 160 restaurants for them. That was when it was owned by the Calendar family. So it was very grassroots kind of mom and pop, if you will, back in the 80s. Um, I'm old, by the way. And then what happened, though, is we we kind of became formalized. And, and so they started hiring and bringing in kind of hospitality leaders. And a woman named Denise Pazuli at the time was brought in. She was from the National Restaurant Association. So it was like a big deal. And she was going to head up learning. And truly, Spencer, she tapped me one day. I was at a new store opening and she said to me, I was leading that and, you know, I was up teaching a class and she said to me, you could do this for a living. And my first thought was, what, wait, tables? Not like there's anything wrong with that. But that was my first inclination was like, okay, maybe I can do other things. And she said, no, you have a real gift for talking to people and teaching people some of those basic skills. And so that's how I always say, like, I kind of, it found me, I just had a great person in my life. She's a mentor of mine to this day. Her, name's, her new last name is Kerwan. Um, but she tapped me. And over the years, I stayed close to her. So she brought me to Universal after that. And, you know, she's a mentor and a friend of mine. But it's, I was fortunate because I think everybody, if you have that person in your life that kind of sees that spark in you, and then can help guide you and mold your career. And so that's how I got into this. And then you know, 40 something years later, um, I'm still doing it and I still love it. And I think if you find your your true calling and your true love, it's it, it makes the world a little bit better for you. Sean, it's fascinating. I, I think you share a similar uh, story that, that, you know, many of us have, and that is were it not for a mentor, an individual, a uh, a uh, you know close confidant, we wouldn't be where we are today. Uh, and let me just double click on something you said. Um, I would think that learning and development, the space itself, is anything but basic. Uh, and now, fast forward forty years, um, I'm sure you've seen the 
industry change dramatically. Uh, what would you say are the biggest changes that you've experienced over your 40-year-plus career? It's interesting because I don't know. There are a lot of changes, and you can say things like technology has changed and the way we look at learning. You know, I used to come back from the day where you would measure, you know, people say, well, how do you measure learning, right? And it was classically butts and seats, right? How many people went to a class? We checked the box. That is not, you know, this is the biggest change. I think evolution in my life is using data to help tell us how we're doing. But also, um, I'm a believer in getting to the behavior change, right? Like that's changed because if, when you're only counting how many people go to a class, and, and many L&D people will argue that, but that's truly what a lot of them do. It's like, how many people? Give me the roll sheet. That doesn't do anything. That just says how many people went. That doesn't tell me how many people learned, right? There's a difference between attending and learning, and then there's a difference between learning and actually changing a behavior too. And so I now, and I think the biggest change is, at least for me, is making sure I'm getting to a behavior change. And how do you measure a behavior change, right? Like that's a huge focus of mine. And it's also, I think the biggest evolution is, especially with technology, we don't have to be in this world now where it was like, how many people came to a workshop? Virtually, you can reach out to thousands of people that you couldn't reach out to before. And if you kind of go back to those those early days too, you know, it was always come to a class and do that. We didn't have virtual learning. It was all done, you know, in person or things like we're doing now. But the beauty now is you have reach and you can you can seriously talk to thousands of people at the same time. And then what's changed is how do you make those thousands of people feel like they're the only one there? So I came across a LinkedIn video that you produced a few months ago, uh, touting, celebrating um, a, a innovation learning and development award. Um, you mentioned something interesting in that it's less about bodies and seats and more about behavior change. And so this, this, um, award, I think maybe even two awards that you received. Uh, can you speak a little bit to the actual program for which you won that award? And and did it have kind of that behavior, you know, a change element to it and measurement of that? Yeah. Great. Thank you for watching that video, by the way. And every once in a while, I just decide to do, I'm going to do a video. Um, and I, I don't script it now, but everything's one take. I just do it all. What you see is what you get. Um, but yeah, so over the pandemic, right? So pre-pandemic, it was, we were truly getting ready to roll out what we call our flagship training. It's all in person. We were going to do 72 in one year, which is huge because we'd only done like 30 or 40 at the most. We were all ready to go, you know, schedule flights, book, the whole bit. And then, you know, the pandemic happens and it's like, okay, we're not doing any of that. So we took a couple of months to kind of regroup and rethink. And and when you started, we started to realize that this isn't going away real soon. And so we had to learn new behaviors ourselves. And I kid you not, like, well, we, can I, can I mention like product names? I don't know. Like I'll just say this. So for example, like 
when the pandemic first happened, everybody was using, at least we were using Skype for business, right? So it wasn't set up. It was a conference call, but you're like, we'll just talk to everybody using Skype. And then that didn't work. And then people were at going to Zoom and then Zoom had whatever problems and, you know, things happened. Then everybody went to Microsoft Teams and then people went to WebEx. So it was this whole world opened up, right, of all of these online platforms. So we set on Teams. But then what we realized was if we started to use the tools correctly, we could turn that into more of a learning platform. And those awards didn't come from me. I have an awesome team that are really the brains behind all of this. But what, what I helped lead and pull together was what we call our community. It's called CORE. And, and I, liked, I like naming conventions that are easy to remember. So, you know, to me, CORE is like the core of who you are, right? It's, it's your core being. And at Baker, we have four values. Um, so grow, care, collaborate, lead. And so all we did was like, wait, this makes sense. Why don't we take one value a quarter? Um, and so, so core is core values. It's since, since it's sprung off to, uh, you know, a few other communities, but really started back then, right? So how do we do that? Then, you know, we built a site and the team built out a site where it's a social learning platform and a social, social learning community. And that's what we went for was our way that we looked at social learning through this community approach, which is really cool because it, it took away the isolation of the pandemic, but also the isolation of how you learn. You know, when you would go to virtual learning, most cases it was to do compliance training, right? And it, it was just that you used the, an LMS system and that's really no fun, right? It's just not. And so we took that same concept, like you're going to the destination, that's the learning portal, but how you do that is by interacting with other people. So then we just created, just like we're doing here, you just, you bring a few people in, you have a conversation, and then we started to format that into what we call learning engagements, which are just virtual learning. Um, then that sprung into what we now do is we have open mics. So we let you teach back which is that's how you get to the behavior change, right? So the model I follow in my head and, and our team follows is, is an acronym that we just call LEAD and it stands for learn, engage and deliver. So learn is just this, the element of going and picking up content. You can read a book, you can do whatever, but in our world, in that social community, you are using curated curricula. That's just LMS. And then engage, we have a full calendar of workshops that people can go to. Um, and you just sign in and you know you go to those workshops. And then the deliver back piece is when you now give back. So you're able to teach an open mic. So you choose one of the subjects that you just learned and say, hey, I want to teach an open mic on this. And we give you the, the platform, we host it for you, but you teach it. You can submit a white paper, do whatever. But all of those things are now built around the community and we gamified it, which is what I was showing on that video, which is you can earn now what we call core badge. So you earn one per quarter for each of the values that we have. And so it's made it kind of fun, but none of that existed two and a half years ago. And so when you talk about what changed and that's how we won those awards, you know, there's a lot of super smart people that figured out how do you make how do you make it enticing? What do we do? How do we bring people? How do we measure this? But now for the first time, we have a community 
but I also have measurements. We can tell you things like how long are people staying, you know, uh, how many people are attending this open mic versus that open mic, what times of days work better for global audiences. Um, so it's really nice. And then now through another learning partner that we have, it's real-time data too. So we used to have to wait to the end of the quarter and you would have to count how many people, you know, attended everything so they could get a badge. But now with technology, it's automatic. So as soon as you complete it, you get your badge automatically, which is really cool. So even that's an evolution. And again, it's it's an amazing group of people who look at the data now. And honestly, one of the biggest changes I made on my team, we, we um, kind of rebranded ourselves last August and we brought in some new players, but I didn't bring in learning people. I brought in people who are passionate about learning and or data people who can now start to drive it because we have the, like, I don't need any more content. I have it. You know, it's just a matter of how do you curate that content now. So what we're doing is saying, here's the values, here's either, a, we have core strengths now, and then we have something called journey, which is for people leaders, but they're all platforms and they're all communities. The idea is that you are there, you're not alone you're with other people and you're learning together. That's the community approach. And that's really what, what we won with um, is just rethinking how you can learn. It's not perfect, but it's, 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 it's good. And it's, it's easy and it's fun. I can do it on my phone. It's, you know, it's, we, we simplified a lot of things for people. That was fascinating. I have so many questions. Jess, I'm sure you have some questions from this conversation. Yeah, I do. Um, maybe just, people who are familiar with Baker Hughes, obviously giant energy, you know, design services, manufacturing, so many things uh, in, in the energy space. Um, last numbers I heard, I want you to correct me, were I think like $30 billion market cap right now. And like, is it like 55,000 employees? Or yeah, 55,000 employees. And we're really broken into kind of three segments, like headquarters, um, which are shared services functions and our two product companies. So oil field services and equipment, that's what most people would consider kind of traditional oil and gas type business rights. And then industrial energy technology, which is kind of the future facing, you know, where are we going with energy and how do we look at it? And it's always interesting because, you know, I'm not an, an energy person. I consider myself kind of a theme park hospitality person, right? But I'm in this space where it's exciting because you, like, I'm a learner, right? So I learn myself. But but what fascinates me truly about the organization is that we're playing for the future of the world, right? So, you know, bringing energy to the world is really cool and helping, you know, with this this kind of switch and, and how energy is going to be used and what energy is being used there. I work with predominantly engineers. So sometimes you can imagine when, you know, I pop in and it's like, I don't speak that language, but, but learning is universal, right? Learning is where you're able to get people to kind of step aside from what I, what I brand myself as my day job to how I want to better myself. And, and that's all I try to do in this energy space now. Yeah. So. My question is, you know, it's kind of my favorite question for this mini series that uh, I've been doing with Spencer. 
you know, on my show, so often the, the guests are high growth CEOs. You know, maybe the founder and they've got it over a hundred million, over a billion or more, right? And all of a sudden they've got, uh, like, they don't just have more employees than they used to have, they have like decimal points more the employees than they used to, right? And they're realizing, like, that they, the CEO, are not going to run this company, are not going to operate this company. Like, like it becomes more and more evident to them how much, like, it's back to architecture and leadership. And this idea of, like, you need to go, you need the best people, you need to select the best people, you need to develop the best people. They're getting this message all the time, but most of them don't come from that kind of a So I guess my question for you is what your advice would be to one of these high-growth CEOs who went from having a dozen staff to 1,200 or 3,000 or something like this, and now they're going like, ooh, we, we want to stay ahead of our competition by continually having our teams upgrade themselves in their, uh, and I'm going to use your word, behaviors. Not just information download, but things they can actually do. You, you, you have to invest in people, right? And investment doesn't always have to need huge capital that comes with it. Sometimes it's time. Sometimes it's mentoring. But the, a lot of people say it, but not everybody does it, right? They're like, oh, I want to develop my people. But then you're like, the first thing I'm going to get rid of is all the learning functions that we have when times are tough. It happens a lot, right? It's, I, I constantly face that in my career. But the best of the best realize, in my opinion, that in order to continue to advance as an organization, I can't do it without my people. And as far as I'm still concerned, I mean, I know, you know, AI is coming a long way, but we're still working with people at this point. And people have hearts and they have souls and you need to touch that. And you, if you, if you put your head down, because so many people just like, it's just business, business, business. Well, a new team leader who's never led a team who all of a sudden you give 20 or 30 individuals to you run the risk of high attrition if that leader doesn't know how to tap into people. So those CEOs have to understand at least, you know, that I have to drive the business, but I'm also driving the performance of the people who run that business. And and I I truly think it's you become a mentor, become a teacher, a facilitator as a CEO. How cool is that, right? When a CEO turns around and says, let me teach this class. Let me do that one for you. Here's what I'd like to say. And it doesn't have to be formal. You do a lot of informal stuff. But I I, I always really believe like the you know leader is faculty. It's such a great way to go. You know, we're working on that. We're, we're getting we're, we've got some that are really helping out, which is spectacular because you know as, as fun as it is to see me do something, at least I think so, um it's great to hear from a leader, right? And see if someone that you aspire to be but if this if this the ceos stop and remember what got you where you are but you probably had a really good mentor and a coach along the way and if you forget that then you're in trouble if you remember the behaviors that you worked with and people that worked with you and took time for you are the ones that changed your life and you have that opportunity and just never forget that so word i i love that example um I think I want to double down on this word behaviors because 
to me, that's what's so exciting about food this stage. You know, Spencer and I both consider ourselves lifelong learners, been involved in learning development industries. Um, but, uh, you know, this comes out basically on every episode. The other thing I bring up is how uh, tough it is for me to spend time with folks who think the point is bucks and seats. And like at the end, you know, did the people give you a smiley face that they enjoyed the PowerPoint? And now they go back to doing life exactly what they did before they showed up, right? And so for folks who are are drinking the Kool-Aid that you're sharing with us here, help me understand some granular ideas of how I can, if my company, gather the kind of data to see if our learning investment has turned into behaviors that yeah. are ideal. Listen, there's a lot of ways you could do it. I, I think the easiest form, in my opinion, is this is where your people leaders have to be in touch. And if you have engaged people leaders, like for me as a people leader, like by no means am I perfect, right? And I, I have to work on this myself and the team constantly reminds me, like, don't we teach this? And shouldn't you be doing that too? I'm like, okay, thank you. Um, but that's part of it, right? If you surround yourself with people who are going to challenge you, like people who are going to make you a better leader and a better person, that's the team you want, right? If you surround yourself with people that just say yes and, and you know, do as I'm told, you don't get anywhere. But that comes back to you being the leader. So the way it's a, you can't give up. It's you have to constantly be working at this, but it's so easy. I, I always say this. Every, every time I'm in front of a, a class, I just did it in India a couple of weeks ago. I asked people the question, like, what is the easiest thing to do at the end of the class? I'll give you, you guys can guess. What's the answer? Take a happy sheet. Yeah. Like Hand up. Easy. But actually, the easiest thing to do is nothing. Nothing is so easy. It requires no effort, right? So if you want to be that difference, then you got to call it out, right? Remind people that the time you're investing in learning is a chance for you to grow. But it's like reading a book, listening to a podcast, whatever it might be. If you don't do anything with that information, it's just great information that you're filing your brain, you, you hopefully use it one day. But if you take the time to say, actually, what did I just do? What's one, one little thing I could do differently? You don't have to boil the ocean. Do one thing. Maybe it was just, it made me so funny. There was a person a couple of years ago that said, I'm just so happy I made it on time every day. I'm like, if that's your one learning, doesn't matter anything else. Be on time. Like, you learn that. Like, that's a step in the right direction. But you need to connect with your people leader or your supervisor or your peers because we tend we tend not to do it. We send people to learning um, or you get this magic, you know, invitation to something. And you're like, I don't even know how I got this. Well, that's sad to me. You know, you should have those conversations with, with your people leader or your supervisor, whatever, to say, hey, I want you to go to this because, and here's why I think it's going to be beneficial. And take it one step forward, forward is to say, and when you come back, I'd like you to share it with the team or share with me what you learn. That's now reinstilling the behaviors, but that takes effort, right? And again, if I'm a new CEO, if I'm a people leader, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm too busy or say, where were you last week? Oh, I forgot. You went to that class, right? Like that's, that happens more often than not. 
but it's sad to me, right? We have to be more engaged. And it, it's kind of that, what is like a circle of life, right? It, it, it's just an evolution. But part of being the CEO, part of being the people leader is the responsibility of people at your leading. And got to invest a little bit, a little bit of time. It's not hard. It's like, you know, as I say, it's like those, you know, the year, every company has those like year end performance conversations. If those conversations are a shock to people, the employee is not the one that didn't do their job. It's the people leader because you should be constantly having these conversations with people. But again, we don't because we use time and busyness as an excuse that, oh, I couldn't do it because, well, you got to, you have to change that. Yeah. You know, it reminds me of uh, one of my favorite books in the space. I think it's Robert Brinkerhoff, uh, Courageous Training, where he says, he, he's in the evaluation business and he says, uh, I can already, you know, talking about traditional L&D programs, he's like, I can already tell you how effective your program is. 20% of your people think it's the best thing they ever heard. 20% of your people think it was a total waste of time. And there's 60% in the middle that are willing to experiment with it depending on how their boss treats them when they get back to their desk. And he says, what will most likely happen is your boss will say, oh yeah, that's nice. Uh, we should talk about that after we get real work done. And you'll lose your 60% as well. Yeah, yeah 100%. And then that boss says, yeah, yeah. Get back to work because you were out last week and the work's been waiting for you. Hurry up and get it done. Yeah. And then also, you know, true when people got a learning, it's su surprising slash not surprising to me how many people are like, yeah, in order for me to be here, I'm working earlier and I'm working later versus having a, a leader that says, I don't want you to do anything except for be present and, and to be there. That would change everything. I mean, imagine that if your boss said to you, unplug, invest, and then come back and reinvest. Awesome. Awesome. Okay, Spencer, next three questions are yours. What do you got? So, Sean, I'm, I'm just been listening to you and um, thinking about all of the industries that you've been involved in hospitality, media, manufacturing, and now energy, all of them within the learning and development space. One of the things that an earlier guest shared with me, something that has stuck is always going back to the fundamentals. And one of the questions that he would pose is, hey, what is learning for? And so I've been thinking about that as you've been sharing your insights and wisdom. And my question for you is, you certainly oversee the learning and development within Baker Hughes as an organization, but that organization is within a broader industry, the energy industry. And I was going through your annual report earlier, and I came across a new word that I've never come across before. It's trilemma. No instead of dilemma, trilemma. And so thinking about the energy industry, so much is happening within the energy industry right now, whether that is sustainability, affordability, uh, increased access. And so when you think about learning within the organization, 
and then across the industry, are you able to help bring these two things together, kind of at the macro side of our, the, the, the part that we play within the energy sector, and then how Baker uh, plays an outsized role in that? I would think when you ask yourself the question or when your employees ask yourself the question, what is learning for? The secret may be trying to connect these two macro and micro level uh, ideas. Can you speak to that? Well, I, I'll tell you how I, would, how I would answer that question when I hear, like, what is learning for? To me, learning, it's for me, right? It's an individual approach. It's, it's, it's a gift that I'm giving myself to help me become a better X, fill in the blank, whatever it is, a better person, a better leader, a better engineer, but whatever it is, because we learn to, to we, we consume knowledge so that we can better ourselves. At least that's how I kind of see it. I'm trying to do something with this thing that I've learned. So if you take that approach, you say we, in our business, which at your point are part of something bigger, how does learning fit in? Well, I, we have to learn to understand what, what does it really mean, first of all, and how do I fit it? And even, you know, like you said, it's a new word, right? So like the trilemma, like what is this? And then you throw in things like sustainability, like that's not stuff that we even talked about years ago, right? We, it was just, you know, I just do this thing. I make widgets, I do whatever it is. But now what we have to really say is how do I fit into the bigger piece of all this? Like when I look at it and I start to, to have those, that conversation where I'm like, how do I, as a, learning person how do i fit it all this we're trying to help people become a better version of themselves because if they can do that and they bring that to their own job and become a better version of themselves in their job therefore aren't we now collectively being better as a company and then fitting into a space in a different way so i try to just you know bring it all the way back to the core individual every single time you know, your, your learning organization is an organization of one. You know, you, you learn one person at a time. Now, we do that in multiple things, but every learner is an individual. Every learner is on their own path. And, you know, I think we try so hard to say it's one size fits all learning. You just, you, we can't think that way anymore. So I don't know if that's like a, long-winded round way if we even answer the question but I, I just constantly come back to one person at a time doing one thing and it all adds up and i i thank you for that response like super insightful it, it prompted another question sean and that is as as the chief learning officer um you are setting an example for the organization. Um, I, my question is, what have been some of your biggest learning moments, either at Baker Hughes or with your previous employers? I mean, do you look back to moments where it was this aha moment, this eureka moment, where it's like, 
you know, maybe I tried doing something the wrong way. And now I have finally come to the conclusion that, hey, this is a, a better way of, of doing it. Any sure. examples come to mind? Well, first of all, I, I hope I inspire and help people in my own world. But to me, like, I would say it's like the aha moment. I've had a couple of them. And they always stem back to the same thing, which is when I try to be something I'm not, I completely suck at it and I fail and it doesn't work for me. But when I come back and am true to myself, like this is it, like I, this is how I speak. This is how I roll. This is what I do. This is how I dress. This is how I show up. I'm happy. And when I'm happy, right, it shows up. And, and so I, I always fail when I, I fear or I try to fit into something that I, I'm not. And I have done that in many, many years of my career. And I will tell you, like, tell you like a story. I don't know if people will get upset at the story, but it's true. But when I first was going to work at, at the GE campus, so at Crokeville, for people in learning, that's a big deal to be able to be part of that campus because it's really where corporate learning started was, you know, 1956 to like taught orientations, you know, the dates, but you know, like if this is a big deal, like the formalized corporate learning kind of started at that campus or with that thought process. And when I, um, you might have to edit this later, but when I, when I was talking to, to them, so they, they wanted me, right? Cause I was NBC Universal. We were GE adjacent, right? We were part of that. And I left the organization, started my own business. And they're like, like, we want you, we want you to teach. And here's the thing. And I was kind of going through a, a, a group to get into the, to the campus and I had a phone call and they were like, they did not say it. Like, oh, Sean, really really want you to be part of this but you know um and, you know it's flying him and hot right if and i said what like what is and i remember this and this is you know gonna kick out us i'm like you don't want me to be so gay is that what it is like and i just so, i just came right out and said it and they're like well no 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 like of course right of course everybody's like no 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 i said well here's the problem the problem is you you perceive that stereotype as passion and as energy. He said, so I am not going to do it. That. I just said it to shock them because they thought it was fun. Um, and I knew what they meant, but they wanted me to tone it down, right? And so I'm like, okay, that's really great. So I remember going to the campus the first time after this conversation. I'm like, holy crap, man. I got to like, you know, I got to be normal, right? I have to be boring when I teach in front of a class because trust me, I've seen a lot of boring people. And that lasted about 30 seconds in the classroom until I just like got back into my routine. But it, I struggled for weeks though, because I was like, I was reading the script and, you know, they, they teach you the class and you have to have it all perfect. And I had my slides done. And then when I was able just to be myself, super high, you know, ratings and all that kind of stuff. And I, I won like faculty of the year several years later for GE as an external person. I don't know some weird work that they had at the time, but but they gave it to me and I'm like, you're, you're darn right. You gave it to me. You gave it to me because of the fact I'm myself. When I'm myself and I show up this way, 
people enjoy it. I think people should enjoy learning. When we get to like academic and it, you're you're going down the wrong path. Like I don't, and I I see it all the time. I was I've been on panels where I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about because you're like way up here. Like bring it on down, right? You gotta just bring it down. But when you're trying to impress yourself and impress others, it doesn't work. When you talk from the heart, when you talk from your gut and your experiences, and you're not afraid to be who you are. And it's joyful again. But if I can get people and participants in classes to come alive and to be themselves, it's awesome. That doesn't mean, though, everybody has to be like me. Just be yourself. But don't hide. Like, you know, people, I mean, honestly, they want they wanted me to hide and be something else. And like, it's not for me. Thank you for sharing that, Sean. I, I love that account. You want to know that part, right? No, no, I absolutely love it. In fact, it's prompted um, a final question from me. You recently mentioned some time in India, um, maybe just a few weeks ago, a few months ago. Uh, I suspect you travel uh, widely uh, in your role uh, with this global company. Uh, how has that GE experience of being you, being authentic, uh, how how has it translated to you know appreciation of other cultures? Yeah. Uh, you had mentioned India, you Mexico, kind of in the pre-show. Can you speak to that a little bit? Hundred percent. First of all, I am so happy because I work for an organization that lets me be me, and that is. You know, I don't know. Sometimes they probably just shake their hand and they're like, oh my God, what's happening? But other times it's like, yes, look, this is great. So I love it. And so my leader, our CEO, like the organization embrace, embraces me for me. Um, but I bring that to every place I go. And the trip to India just a couple of weeks ago, um, it, and I said this to people, I'm actually going to post a couple articles on this as well. It, it changed me and it, it really did. And I can say this after you've been doing this for so many years, you know, it's a long trip, you're tired when you get there. I hadn't been in the classroom in a long time because my jaw's been, yeah, I've been, I focus on other things and that's not my primary role anymore. But I got to kind of be in the classroom and it like such, it brought joy back to me and it made me happy because it realized wow, this is what it's all about. You know, you can blend the learning with, with virtual and in-person, but there's nothing better than smiles and handshakes and hugs and things like that. And the culture, what I loved about the trip to India, which is rare, this has never happened to me before. But before we did any work, they took the time to give us a cultural overview. Nobody asked them to do that. They just felt it was really important. And I I had a few of the, the the team, you know, brought me to a conference room and went through like a PowerPoint presentation all about the history and and culture. But it was life changing because it gave me the insights to the people I was working with. And normally, you know, when you travel as much as I do with anybody in these kind of roles, 
it's in and out, right? And nobody takes the time to do that, but it changed everything. So I, I would seriously say to anybody, if you have people coming in, teach them your culture first and spend that time. And, you know, I, and I haven't taken the time to do that. You know, I, I, I've been to a lot of places, a lot of countries. I worked in, you know, six or seven continents, but I don't know a lot about who I work with. I just, it's people, right? When they took the time to do that, to me, that's, I'm putting that in my, in my writer now, everywhere I go, thinking a cultural overview, because it's just, it's, it's that important. And, you know, flying back, it just, having this renewed sense of passion and energy and i'm pretty energetic as it is but i lost track because we've been doing so much virtually that i think as we move forward we we still have to get this balance right the problem i think with a lot of times with in-person learning is it becomes like who gets to go right versus virtual we can get many people there but i think as a learning community we have to get the balance right and actually, I just grabbed this. Is all my this is all my computer. This is, they gave me this element. Sorry, my screwed up finger here. This was a gift that they they gave me. It was like Ganesha, but I left there. And so I looked it up because um, I just thought it's just a beautiful, you know, carving. You know, the culture elements are very uh, prominent there. But I looked up what that meant, and it's you know, it's Ganesha, the Hindu god, right? But it's creativity, strength, power, passion. You know, those are some of the words that were used. And I thought, what a fitting gift just to give to me. I don't know, like, it, it goes to everybody, but I took it as like, wow, hand-selected for me. But it was a great reminder that I am creative and I am powerful and I, I do have passion and I am strong. You know, so like I'm keeping that here on my desk as a constant reminder that, you know, never forget where you came from, but always remember, like, always look ahead to where you're going to, which I think is kind of cool. Sean, thanks so much for sharing that story. Uh, Jess, I'll turn it back to you for any last minute thoughts or questions. No, I think you're great. I don't know where we need that. I think, I think this is awesome. Sean, thanks for making time. Uh, of course, you're welcome. This is a, it's a great yeah. conversation and I hope it's, I hope, you know, in the scheme of things, it helps other, whoever's listening or the CEOs kind of realize, like, just get back to your people. And and when in doubt, just ask. You can't screw it up if you ask people, how can I help you? What do you, you know, what do you recommend for me? It would go a long way, but I, it's been a real pleasure, you know, speaking to you. Sometimes I'm like, wow, people actually want to hear from me. I love it. I, I have an opinion on everything, whether you want it or not. Uh, but I appreciate you all seriously taking the time to to reach out and to to bring me into this world. Well, uh, and we need to tell people that you're one of the top voices for yeah, learning development on LinkedIn. They should be checking you out there. Getting the, go to LinkedIn, find me. I'm working on my top voice and L and D profile here. So great. Well, thanks everybody for listening. Thanks, Sean, for doing this. Thanks, Sean.